Hey everybody, welcome to Voices from the Front Lines. We're so happy to hear Stevie Wonder, the marvelous Stevie Wonder, sing one of my favorite songs of all time, Happy Birthday, Dr. Martin Luther King. And we're going to talk about Dr. King today, so we're going to play a little bit more Stevie Wonder now. And then I'm going to talk about Dr. King and this great article I've written about it. We'll talk about Joe Biden. But I want you to know I'm here. This is Eric Mann in person. And we want to go to the phones later, but let Stevie Wonder sing his magnificent song for a while. Eric Mann on Voices from the Front Lines joined KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, and streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. I'm here with D'Angelo Jones, thank God, a human being in the other room. My wife, Leanne, has been out of town for a while, so I've been by myself, and I'm in a pretty strict quarantine, so I'm sort of going crazy. Uh, Zoom is cool but not eight or nine hours of it. So all I do is write, eat, work out, Zoom, meet with my people, and nice to hear you. So we are going to go to the phones. Let's do a 345 so we can see that there's some human beings listening to the show. Otherwise, I could have stayed home because I did drive to the studio to be with you all so that there could be some feedback. So let me tell you what's going on. Let me start with an observation about Biden-Harris, which is thank God. I mean, really, thank God. You know, over time, I don't have to apologize. I mean, I'm, as we'll discuss in this article about Dr. King, I am a pro-communist, black nationalist, anti-imperialist. If these are my politics, I'm not going to have a great relationship to the Democratic Party. However, Joe Biden is doing what Barack Obama should have done. And all the people that apologized for Barack Obama, oh, he didn't have this, he didn't have that. I think Joe Biden sat down and said, oh, my God, for four years, this racist, fascist madman is trying to absolutely destroy even the decency of U.S. imperialism, which isn't very decent. But for him to announce that on the first day he's going to cancel the XL pipeline is just in itself phenomenal. And for all the people in the Indigenous Environmental Network and all the people who were fought at Standing Rock, imagine how passive Obama was on this. And he finally passed something very late in his term. And then as soon as Trump came in, he said, hell no. So go, Joe, go. That's the point. Biden's talked about a path to citizenship for 11 million undocumented people, including restoring DACA. And I'm sure there'll be and should be lots of good organizing and pressure from the immigrant rights movement, which means all of us, to accelerate. Why can't it be three years to a path? You know, President Reagan just gave amnesty to three million Latinos. Go back and check it out. And Dolores Huerta played an important role in that. So Biden could give amnesty to large numbers of immigrants. So the main point, though, is big props to him for opening those doors. 
I think imperialism has reached a point where it realizes we're in, I mean, this system is within a hair of falling apart. There are discussions of voting rights, of instant voting rights. I mean, we, and I do consider myself part of the we, we won this election. The last numbers, I think, were 84 million for Biden, 77 million for Trump and the fascist hordes. Imagine if black voter registration could be increased by 30 and 50 percent. Imagine that every undocumented person, uh, if you figure every hundred undocumented people who become documented have the right to vote, certainly 70 to 75 percent of them will vote Democratic. And if they were smart, 99 percent because they were documented through the Democratic Party. Um, I think that Kamala Harris has not been a friend to black people. I'm sorry. I do not believe she has been. I think there's some recognition through pressure. I want to, again, thank Stacey Abrams for amazing work. And I think Kamala Harris is going to find her better soul. I'm on your side and reverse a lot of the bad decisions she made as attorney general. So we in the movement have a chance. That's the point. We in the movement have a great opening. I feel far more optimistic. I mean, I was terrified when the early votes came in and Trump was ahead. And yeah, my wife Nancy said, just wait, 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 wait. And I go, no, man, he's up. What's wrong with these people? You know, and I wasn't wrong, but thank God we played a long game. And the long game came in, all the great people that did work in Philadelphia, Black Lives Matter and uh, Sunrise Coalition and Democratic Socialist America and all the different black and Latino groups that did the work on the ground. Thank you. Thank you. And to our friends in Kenosha, you know, Justin Blake, the uncle of Jacob Blake. And hello, Jacob. We do not forget you. And this fight is going on to James Burke in Kenosha. And a group of great people, the movement people, won for Biden and Harris. Now the movement's got to come in and cash its checks, right? Cash its checks. And there's a lot of optimism. I feel more optimistic. You know, I didn't realize how bad the cloud was that Trump created. And yes, we have 70 million, mainly white, not all, white people who voted for Trump. And many of them are armed and dangerous. So lots of work to do. Now... I'm Eric Mann. I'm the host. If you opened up my brain, there's a lot of compartments in there. And I'm a writer. I'm a singer. I'm a dancer. I'm a director of a civil rights organization, historian. I read like crazy. I'm a historian by making history. I'm a historian by reading history. And I've written an amazing article about Martin Luther King. I started about five years ago. And I want to thank Jeffrey St. Clair at Counterpunch for just being such a supporting editor. You have no idea. I mean, I don't know how he does what he does. He has so many articles. He gets the thing out five days a week. And then on Friday, thank God, he has a weekend edition that goes Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So this is article that I've refined and refined. So you can get it up on counterpunch.org. The title is this year, Dr. Martin Luther King's Challenge to the Movement as the Fascist Storm the Capitol. I'm going to read you some of it. But I've refined this article. I mean, it's taken me just, I don't even know, hundreds of articles, hundreds of hours to produce it. And every year I refine it. And this year I didn't need to refine it. The article is what it is. But every year I write a completely new introduction, which is cool. And every year Jeffrey St. Clair runs it. And I'm very happy it was the lead article in Counterpunch yesterday on King Day. And yes, I have very few... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> very few uh, perks in life. Of, I have a great life, but, you know, and not as much recognition in some ways, I wish. But to be the lead article at Counterpunch means a lot to me. It does. Hey, look at that. And especially on King Day. Now, another thing to know about me, a lot of you do, but I'm going to tell the story more often, is that it's hard to understand that I'm a veteran of the civil rights movement and that I feel you know, pretty much just as alive and vital as I did the day I joined the Congress of Racial Equality in September 1964. Now, you can do the math, but I'm here. 
And I'm still that person. When I play that song, I want to march for Dr. King, and I want to at least <laughs> psychically give my life if I have to for the revolution. And I want you to listen to this article that I'm reading. I'd love you to go online and read it carefully. I'd love you to set up some place where I can speak and give a talk about it. Because basically, the story I want to tell you is close your eyes and ask yourself three sentences, three concepts. What was and who was Dr. Martin Luther King politically? Let's take a second. Three concepts. Who was he? In the classic, horrible reassassination of Dr. King, I hope to hell you're not saying nonviolent first, which he wasn't. It wasn't the essence. It wasn't. Two, I hope you're not saying he fought for integration, which he didn't really. We'll get to. Although he did. Or he fought for peace and love. And Oh, my God, no. And an aside to the black athletes on King Day, please up the game. I mean, I don't know what's happening because there have been so many protests. But when you have a chance to say something, don't say things like Dr. King was uh, for peace and Dr. King, uh, he wanted all of us to. And, you know, we're really concerned about what's happening in the country, but we're not going to say it's so on fascists. And, you know, that's why I've set up something in my community to teach kids to read. Please, no, 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 teach the kids to organize politically against capitalism and imperialism and to fight for black liberation. So I'm going to tell you the three concepts that I think define Dr. Martin Luther King and his significance. Number one, he was a black nationalist. Number two, he was an anti-imperialist. And number three, he was pro-communist. The U.S. government knew that. J. Edgar Hoover knew that. It wasn't really a secret if you read his stuff, if you listen to his words. It's not like I have some secret, I've done some terrific investigative reporting. I'm simply trying to help the man stay alive because that's who he was and that's what he said. And that's why he was in so much trouble and that's why he knew. He died at 39, killed at 39, and he knew by 25. If you asked him at 25, would he last to 39, I think? He would have said, I don't know. And there were several times when they came within an inch of his life. He was stabbed at a book signing, as you know. They threw rocks at him at Cicero that almost could have killed him. All right, so I'm going to read you. This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Front Lines. I'm going to read you my chapter heads first. So you got the whole line of argument. I'm going to read my introduction. Not that long. And then I'm just going to read you the chapter ahead, so it'll be like a spoiler alert. And then I'll figure out how much time I want to speak into each one. And then we'll go to the calls at 345 at 818-985-5735. Before I do, though, I want to say one more thing, that it's, it's a matter of fact that KPFK has laid off Kevin Fleming, an amazing program director with whom I worked. And I just thought, Kevin, if you're out there... No way I can thank you enough. And Christine Blasdale, who was only the greatest fundraiser, and she did many other things. But her ability to raise money for this station, hour after hour, I mean, she's not dead, by the way. But God, I had a great appreciation for her. I mean, I would listen to her and say, man, Christine, if you're selling Buddha tapes and self-improvement and capsules to make you younger and dance better and, and whatever you're selling, girl, I'm buying. And But if I was going to train organizers, which I do, I think I'm going to get some of her tapes just to see her level of engagement with the concepts, but all along knowing she's raising money for KPFK. So Kevin, a job well done. Christine, a job well done. The story's not over. But for now, I'm just on the day after King Day, just giving you props in the spirit of Dr. Martin Luther King. And I have great appreciation for what both of you have done for the station and admiration for the work you've done. Okay, so here's my introduction. You get where this is going? So introduction, chapter heads, 
You know, I think I might want to hear some human voices. Yeah, so you can start lining up now, but please listen. 818-985-5735. We'll mainly talk about your thoughts on King Day, but hopefully some thoughts about my article, because that's the whole point, right? All right, so let me read you two. Dr. Martin Luther King's challenge to the movement as the fascists stormed the Capitol, Eric Mann, counterpunch.org. My opening quote is, Dr. Du Bois was a radical all his life. Some people would like to mute the fact that he was a genius who became a communist in his later years, Martin Luther King Jr. Now, I'm going to sort of do some reading comprehension stuff with you. So why did I open with that? This is the first time I open with that. Because Dr. King was pro-communist. And that is shocking to a lot of people. So we open with his praise of Dr. Du Bois as a communist. Okay? That's the lead story. To throw the whole consciousness, oh my God, this is already an article I didn't think I would understand. Today... Even Dr. King, who fought the fascists in Montgomery, Alabama, and Cicero, Illinois, would be shocked to see armed white fascists march in plain sight, and the civil rights movement cannot be found because it no longer exists. As CNN, MSNBC, and the Democrats keep repeating Trump, 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 and yes, Trump and his fascist movement are the greatest danger. We need the Democrats to stop attacking black militants, free black political prisoners, encourage the long history of armed self-defense that the black community has practiced since Reconstruction. Now, why did I say that? I think I'm going to interpret every sentence. We have all these political prisoners, people my age, you know, obviously Mumia Abu-Jamal, but so many others, so many others, and, and I'll do a whole show on them mainly men and women in their 60s, 70s, and 80s who are Leonard Peltier, insane, insane, and we have to free them. And all these fascists, armed fascists, if they get a year in prison, I'll be shocked. They're not getting 20, and they're not getting 30, and they're not getting life. We got to get black people out of prison and white people into prison. Yes, that was an effort to get you to think. To be clear, it's the Democrats who have sent black militants to prison or their deaths, destroyed the safety net, see Bill and Hillary Clinton, rounded up Black Panthers and any other black folks who believed in and practiced armed self-defense. The Democrats and President Obama said, John Lewis, nonviolence. Dr. King, nonviolence, nonviolence, nonviolence. Without acknowledging that the essence of Dr. King's legacy was a pro-communist, black nationalist, anti-imperialism, in which it was nonviolent, direct action. That was the centerpiece of his philosophy. See, it was nonviolent, direct action. When we would march in to a racist store or racist employer, we would go, Jim Crow must go, racism must go, we want freedom now. Everybody, don't, don't participate in this store. Hey, hey, no, no, we don't want this. Hey, you racist, Emma, no. And if you saw 25 black and white people marching into that store, they did not perceive that to be nonviolence. It was. Howard Zinn said nonviolence is anything but beating somebody up. And we didn't beat up anybody. So nonviolence is not just passive resistance. That's one form. And yes, Dr. King at times practiced that. But he also marched, and he marched into voter registration. He forced his way in. So even then, it's not true. Dr. King did not just practice so-called passive resistance in the midst of armed danger. He was a very forceful man. But again, pro-communist, anti-imperialist, black nationalist. That's the theme we're going to talk about. Uh Right now, the central challenge to standing up to the armed right in the midst of COVID and police occupation of black communities is a sober reassessment of the present period and reconstruction of a revolutionary alternative. Contrary to the reactionary and ridiculous counterposition of Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, 
It was their mutual leadership of the black united front and the larger anti-imperialist united front that made them so dangerous to the system, a political perspective that is painfully missing today. That is to say, all the things about King nonviolent, Malcolm violent, King integrationist, Malcolm black nationalist do not agree. They were both leaders of the black united front. That's what they had in common. I have no immediate proposal as to what we should do in the hours and days before the inauguration, except to pray for the safety of President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, and to call for a massive roundup of all fascist and white racist groups immediately. Now, while there's little chance that will happen, as a government practices civil liberties for the whites and mass roundups of the blacks, I urge leaders from veterans of the civil rights movement to the young, gifted, and black, Latinx, indigenous leaders to drill deep into black revolutionary history and to shape our present choices. Now, as you engage the lives of Toussaint Louverture, Nat Turner, Denmark Vesey, Frederick Douglass, Claudia Jones, W.E.B. Du Bois, Paul Robeson, Fannie Lou Hamer, Kwame Nkrumah, Huey P. Newton, and other great black revolutionaries, Study Dr. King carefully, for he was among the greatest black revolutionaries of them all. You're on KPFK 818-985-5735. I see my friend Nancy from Brentwood. We'll still go. Please line up, and Nancy, you'll be the first one since you're the first one who called. 818-985-5735. I'm going to go right to the headlines, Okay. I urge you to study Dr. Martin Luther King because it will take a miracle to reconstruct the movement that he and millions of us built. But that's the challenge today, in that there's no such thing as history, but only struggle over historical interpretation. I, along with many others, want to reinforce the historical view of Dr. King as a great leader in the black revolutionary tradition whose work should help shape our organizing today. All right, so here's some categories for you. Dr. King rejected the myths of U.S. society. He rejected its madman packaging of itself as the leader of the free world to tell it like it is, that the United States is, quote, the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. Dr. King saw the Negro Revolution, his words, as part of a third world and world revolution. Dr. King, I'm convinced that if we to get on the right side of the world revolution, notice he says that, We also must undergo a radical revolution of values. For years, I labored with the idea of storming, reforming the existing institutions of the South. A little change here, a little change there. Now I feel quite differently. I think you've got to have a radical reconstruction of the entire society, a revolution of values. God knows, Dr. King, even you could not have predicted this counter-revolution as fierce as it is. Dr. King supported the Black Power Movement and saw himself as a tendency within it. I don't know if you know about, he marched with Stokely Carmichael and Willie Ricks on the march against fear in Mississippi, June 1966. James Meredith, who had been denied admission to University of Mississippi, led a march almost by himself, so everybody had to go down and help him. And Stokely went, and Willie Ricks came, and Dr. King came, and they all marched together, by the way. While initially taken aback by the cries of black power, King soon elaborated his own views as part of the black power continuum. Now, this is King. Now, there's a kind of concrete, real black power that I believe in. Certainly, a black power means the amassing of political and economic power in order to gain our just and legitimate goals then we will all believe in that. Do you get that? Do you get how great Eric Mann's article is? Do you get that Martin Luther King just said, black power, black power, black power? But that's how you do it. If what you mean is black power, concrete, certainly a black power means the amassing of political and economic power in order to gain our just and legitimate goals, then we all believe in black power. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you imagine the system saying, oh, great, Dr. King wants, he only wants to get our legitimate political and economic goals, which is going to require a revolution. We have to get rid of Dr. King because Dr. King is marching with the black power people. Did you know that? 
Did you study it? Did you read David Garrow's Bearing the Cross? Did you read, I'll think of the other three volumes set on King. The point is I read and read and read, and do you read it all? Dr. King sided with the people of Vietnam, including the Vietnamese communists, against the U.S. invasion. In his Beyond Vietnam speech, written by and with his close comrade Vincent Harding, and parenthesis, I want to thank Dr. Claiborne Carson for inviting me to a kind of a consortium or a three-day celebration of Dr. King, in which I was one of the many panelists. And I got to meet Dr. Harding before he died. What an amazing man. And yes, he was the primary writer of this amazing speech, word for word, just one of the greatest speeches of all time. And Dr. King acknowledged that Beyond Vietnam was written primarily by Dr. Harding. All right, we got two callers. We're still going to go, but we'll get you. So listen to this. The Vietnamese people proclaimed their own independence in 1945 after combined French and Japanese occupation and before the Communist Revolution in China. This is King. They were led by Ho Chi Minh. Even though they quoted the American Declaration in their own document of freedom, we refused to recognize them. Instead, we decided to support France in its reconquest of a former colony. Consider that France which capitulated to the Nazis, which set up the Vichy government in France. Most of the French were Nazis. Most of the French are still Nazis. There were some wonderful anti-fascists in France. And by the way, many of them then went back into Algeria to oppress the Algerians. Go see the great speech by Colonel Mathieu in the Battle of Algiers, where he says, you can't call us fascists. We were the anti-fascists. We fought against some of us were in the concentration camps. But yes, now we're here to hold on to Algeria and to hold on to Indochina. So much that even the French anti-fascists were fascists. I'm serious. I'm very serious. Now, our government, this is King on Vietnam, felt that the Vietnamese people were, quote, not ready for independence. And we again fell victim to the deadly Western arrogance that has poisoned the international atmosphere for so long. With that tragic decision, we rejected a revolutionary government seeking self-determination, which is the essence of anti-imperialism. A revolutionary government simply seeking self-determination. And a government that has been established not by China, this is King speaking to people, oh, well, the Vietnamese are Chinese communists showing how stupid people are because China and Vietnam, <laughs> yeah, they're both in Asia, do. But aside from that, as King now says, for whom the Vietnamese have no great love, that's an understatement. Did you know that China has dominated Vietnam for hundreds and hundreds of years before the French? The French, in fact, were great antagonism to China. But thank God the People's Republic of China helped them during the war in Vietnam and then did some very terrible things to them afterwards, by the way. But the point King is saying is that the Vietnamese communists were legitimate political forces, indigenous to their own people with the right of self-determination, and I, Dr. King, support their right of self-determination against French and U.S. colonialism. Do you even know that? I mean, do you have even a clue who this guy is? Do you read him? Do you even know his doctor is because he's a PhD, a doctor of theology? Stuff gets me sick, you know. Dr. King was deeply appreciative of the black communist traditions of W.E.B. Du Bois and Paul Robeson. He was well aware of the irony and significance that Dr. Du Bois died in Ghana, an exile from the United States and a communist, on the very day of the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, August 28, 1963. There was a big event honoring Du Bois, I think, in Town Hall or Carnegie Hall, and King spoke. And it's a four-page speech that I urge you to read. And here's a great quote from it. We cannot talk of Dr. Du Bois without recognizing that he was a radical all of his life. Some people would like to mute the fact that he was a genius who became a communist in his later years. Now, you think that King would let, just let it go, right? I said he was, no, he's belaboring 
the point about the value of communism. Listen to this. It's worth noting that Abraham Lincoln warmly recognized the support of Karl Marx during the Civil War and corresponded with him freely, parenthesis Lyndon Johnson, parenthesis John F. Kennedy, who you're anti-communist, that Abraham Lincoln liked Karl Marx because Abraham Lincoln was truly trying to overthrow slavery the best he could, and he knew better than anybody how racist the United States was. That is to say, Lincoln. Imagine Lincoln and Marx writing being pen pals. In contemporary life, the English-speaking world has no difficulty with the fact that Sean O'Casey was a literary giant of the 20th century and a communist, or that Pablo Neruda is generally considered the greatest living poet, though he also served in the Chilean Senate as a communist. Our rational, irrational, obsessive anti-communism has led us into so many quagmires to be retained as if it was a model of scientific thinking. 818-985-5735. Do you get the seriousness of this, that Dr. King is talking about Karl Marx and Du Bois, Pablo Neruda and Sean O'Casey? He's saying to people, which I know, some of the best people in the world are communists, the best poets, best writers, best organizers. And he's essentially saying, I, Martin Luther King, may not be a communist, but I'm a pro-communist. I support communism. I know I support the people in Vietnam. I support Du Bois on, his, on this event to celebrate his life. I ask all the listeners, how much do you even read about communism? I just was listening to a reading an article by somebody in DSA, and I should know the name of the magazine, but it was about the Rosenbergs and the Mirpools, and pretty good article. And right in the middle of it, and I'm sorry I don't have the citation, I, I will get it, I believe the woman says, well, you know, somebody quotes and says, well, you know, I was in one of those communist groups, and they had us reading Lenin, and I said, I don't need to read Lenin because I know what side I'm on, and I know what's right and wrong, and I know blah, blah, blah. Well, first of all, it was a terrible quote, and secondly, it's stupid. Lenin is great. You don't know. You don't know what Lenin knows. You don't know about organization. You don't know. If you talk like that, you can't organize your way out of a paper bag. My point is there's anti-communism in that article about the Rosenbergs and the Mirpools, and I am not an anti-communist. I'm a pro-communist. Get it? Dr. King's nonviolence was aggressive and militant, reflected in nonviolent direct action. I've already told you about that, so I won't repeat it. But why do they keep saying nonviolent, nonviolent, when the fascists have the right to bear arms in Ohio and half the states? They're marching on the Capitol with arms openly out, arms meaning M-16s and AK-47s, insane. And unarmed black people like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and uh, Fred Hampton murdered in his bed while he was asleep after having been drugged. It's a whole other story, but folks, anytime you hear how much they love John Lewis because he was nonviolent, what they're really doing, President Obama, is saying to black people, you be nonviolent and let all those white racists shoot you. Don't even talk about the right of armed self-defense, President Obama. That's wrong. Second Amendment allows the right of self-defense. Why don't you ever use the word Second Amendment when you're talking to black people? Stop all the nonviolence. And John Lewis, you were a very good guy, but you're being used. You know, he was so nonviolent. I get it. It's the worst thing to say about somebody, even somebody who's nonviolent. Dr. King fought the Democratic Party of Lyndon Johnson, the black Democratic establishment. So we got three callers. D'Angelo, will go to the calls right at 345, okay? Thank you. When King brought his movement to Chicago, the Democratic Party black establishment refused to support him, siding with the racist Mayor Daley and told him to go down south where you belong. Many of them refused to join his mass and militant marches for open housing. 
and an end to police brutality. In response, Dr. King called out the black political establishment, which sadly applies to some people today, or as my mom would say, if the shoe fits, wear it. This is Dr. King. The majority of the black political leaders do not ascend to prominence on the shoulders of mass support. Most are still selected by white leadership, elevated to position, supplied with resources, and inevitably subjected to white control. The mass of blacks nurtures a healthy suspicion towards its manufactured leaders. Now, we have some great black elected officials, obviously, but check out what he said and see if there's some people who are manufactured leaders, manufactured not just by the white establishment, but by the black establishment as well. Dr. King understood it was a battle against the system itself. It's a great article. You should read it in great detail and send me an email at eric at civilrightsorganizer. That's nice, dot com. That's my new email, eric at civilrightsorganizer, and my Wikipedia is Eric Mann, civil rights organizer. So that'll be on my tombstone in 50 years. King was a victim of capitalist state violence, surveillance, psychological character, and actual assassination. The story of J. Edgar Hoover's campaign to destroy Martin Luther King and force him into a nervous breakdown and suicide is not tangential, but central to King's revolutionary history and the surveillance and police state we live under. A lot of people have said to me, Eric, thank you very much for including this whole story, which is in there, about how Coretta Scott King and others brought a trial about his assassination and that the jury ruled that Mr. Jowers, the conspiracy of the mafia, local, state, and federal government agencies, this is Coretta Scott King, were deeply involved in the assassination of my husband. The jury also affirmed overwhelmingly evidence that identified someone else, not James Earl Ray, as the shooter, and that Mr. Ray was set up to take the blame. I want to make it clear that my family has no interest in retribution. Instead, our sole concern has been that the full truth of the assassination has been revealed and adjudicated in the court of law. So that's in the article, too. And there's a lot. So go read it on counterpunch.org. Write me an email, eric at civilrightsorganizer.com. And stay in touch with KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. You're on Voices from the Frontlines. And I'm going to read the last paragraph. Dr. King brought a powerful and frontal indictment of the system of a white supremacist racist capitalism. He appreciated the ideas of others and worked to build a black and multiracial united front against what he called racism, poverty, and militarism. He was willing to confront, quote, the cowardice inside his own bosom and model how all of us have to put our bodies, souls, and lives on the line. He rejected gradualism and demanded freedom now. He advocated nonviolence, but defended the right of those who disagree with him to armed self-defense. He rejected U.S. chauvinism. He called for militant internationalism and challenged the U.S. empire at home and abroad. He was independent of, yes, and willing to challenge and confront the Democratic Party. He was and is a great contributor to the endless struggle for human and planetary liberation. Eric Mann are my dear and growing friend, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Okay, Nancy from Brentwood, let me hear how you're doing. I did read your article yesterday, actually. I This reminds me of something. There has been an attempt, and I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theory, but you probably remember the Trilateral Commission? Yeah. Yeah, I read about that back in the 80s when I first heard about it. And the idea was there's too much democracy, there's too many intelligent young people you know, the Black Panthers, the peace movement, could to dumb down people by making, changing the curriculum of the universities and colleges, attacking in the churches and everything like that. And I don't have to go into that. But this is the problem, one of the problems we're dealing with. And I'm so glad what you're doing is holding these classes that you're, the Labor Committee Strategy Center is having, a strategy and so This is important to have classes and teach young people the real history uh, I'm also concerned, of course, what's going on in this country in other ways. Walden Bellow, who I'm sure you know of, yeah. 
activist, wrote a recent article where he mentioned the U.S. seems to be in the states of the Weimar Republic in Germany before the Nazis. And so I see the power of the left with the Black Lives Movement and the indigenous movement and we can we could get bigger than but right now i see a lot of these these mobs that were mobbing the uh, capital there are young people a lot of them this is scary how the internet and these QAnons and these proud boys so-called seem to have taken over the minds of so many young people mostly white but there were a few people of color in that crowd too nance let me respond and thank you because there's two other people what you're saying is sure. great I, I, no i want this is, I'm allowed to say your last name, right? Go ahead. Nancy, they know about me anyhow. Yeah, well, this is Nancy Lawrence, one of my dear friends and a dear friend of the Strategy Center. I'm one of the great white people out there, really, who fights for indigenous people, just fights every day, and thanks for, and always the first person to call. Thanks for reading the article, Nancy. And yeah, I'm, as Channing Martinez, who I think is going to be on the phone too, I mean, Channing Martinez is director of organizing in the Strategy Center. I'm just moving more and more into trying to teach revolutionary history and strategy to as many people as I can and use my show, Voices from the Front Lines. So, Nance, thanks for reading the article. And, yes, at the Labor Community Strategy Center, info at thestrategycenter.org. I want to make sure we get to everybody before we get out. Barbara, Jules, Channing, and Brian. Hello? Hello. Hi, this is Barbara. Hi, Eric. Hi, Barbara. Hi to everyone that's listening. I just wanted to comment and thank you very much for the what are we going to do. Not only what are we going to do about the United States and its imperialism, but what are we going to do ourselves. And I am amongst those that want to do something, but really what can I do? I appreciate the fact that there is a difference between nonviolence and direct action. And I am definitely for direct action and also support of the Second Amendment at this point that we should bear arms and we should do whatever it is we can do in our capacity as opposed to uh, passive aggression. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. Thank you for the article. And I am moving forward to determine what it is that I can do, everything except sitting on my rump and doing nothing. So I know there are other callers, but I just wanted to support that and say that. And thank you so much for the show. And for those of us like myself that definitely need to read more, your, uh, you, you know, your show, Voices from the Front Line, enlightening us and telling us of all of the things that we definitely need to read more so that we can definitely be more informed and know what direct action that it is that we can take. You know, nothing wrong with having all your best friends call because I'm lucky as hell who my best friends are. And that's Barbara Lott Holland, the Associate Director of the Strategy Center. And we are all going through, you see, when I push you, you need to understand I push myself every day beyond what you can understand. I work... I work at least 12 hours a day just, and that's beside all the reading because like Barbara was saying, we're all trying to figure out what to do. I'm not saying you should do this and we should do that, but studying and reading is a critical part as as well as practicing Second Amendment rights. So thank you, Barbara. I'm going to move to uh, Jules and Whittier, then Channing, and then Brian. Jules, how you doing? You're on Voices from the Front Lines with Eric Mann. KPFK 90.7, what's happening? Hi, Eric. Um, I just uh, wanted to reflect on the fact that uh, I was born on Martin Luther King's birthday, which is kind of uh, you know, a great honor. Yes, but, it is. Uh, the fact that they, they took out Kennedy, um, I guess the CIA, whatever. They took out King and Robert Kennedy. Uh, they took these people out because they were kind of opposed to the military state, I guess. But then uh, you can uh, say that uh, militarism has been a cancer in the U.S., which has kind of gobbled us up. And um, we're at a point where militarism, uh, the cancer, uh, has spread. And uh, and it comes down to um, the fact that the oil 
industry it was run by you know Republicans run the oil uh, cartel, so to speak, or part of it. Um, Jules, I'm going to have to move military. here just a, a little faster. Where do you want to go? Because I want you to finish your sentence. Okay. Uh, basically, what I'm saying is um, a lot of people, when they hear uh, the word communism, um, myself including, included, get a little skeptical because of Stalin's uh, activities, right? And um, so it, it's just hard for me to accept communism based on that kind of a model. But behind every regime, behind every empire, there are human beings who are running the show. When Trump was in the office... And Jules, these, Jules uh, I'm going to hold you there. Okay, I'm going to hold you there, Jules. Let, let me say one okay. point uh, in response, Jules, that um, at one point, more than half the world is communist. And... Why Joe Stalin keeps being brought up, not Lenin, not Mao, not right now in Cuba, one of the most democratic societies you'll ever see that has free health care. I is, agree. Well, well let I me finish. Joe, you're not speaking. I'm yeah. just moving on to the next caller. What I'm getting to is it's very funny that Dr. King just said the people of Vietnam have risen up. He didn't mention Stalin, did he? So Stalin died in 1955, I believe. So why do they keep bringing him up? Uh, if I had more time, I'll give you all my theories of communism. The basic point I'm saying is during the 1960s, you did not want to have a war with the with the Soviet Union. They, they said you were communist. You didn't want to have a war with China. They said you were communist. You didn't want to invade Cuba. They said you were communist. After all, we said, guess what? You're probably right. We are communists. If that's what it is, then we are communists. So that's the main point. Read my article, counterpunch.org. Uh, Channing, are you still on the line? And then Brian. Hello. Hey, Channing, what's happening? Well, I might be a communist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just really wanted to call in and announce the event. I had some other thoughts as well, but for the sake of time, uh, we're having a really great teach-in that where you're giving a plenary talk, and it's going to be the first event of this Strategy and Soul Film Club this Thursday at 6 p.m. PST. I'm really looking forward to it. Even, you know, just your moment on the radio talking about Dr. King talking about W.E.D. Du Bois, right? And so all of those nuances for me are really exciting and really important, and Oftentimes I hear about a lot of different people in the civil rights movement, the black uh, liberation movement, but I don't know their own, you know, interconnection and how they're connected and how the movement was doing certain things. And so all of that is really exciting for me, and I'm looking forward to the event on Thursday. And if you think that would be something exciting for you, you can go to thestrategycenter.org and RSVP. Thanks a lot. It's going to be a webinar, and it's going to be very cool, and we'd love to be on it, okay? Uh, thank you, Channing. That's Channing Martinez, also the co-host of Voices from the Frontlines and one of my closest friends. And we end with Brian. Thank you, Brian, for your patience. Uh, hey, Eric. No, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate you taking my call. I have a differing opinion on, on this. Sure. And I wanted to, to clarify with you that you do believe that Martin Luther King was uh, he was an amazing man. Um, I believe you know he was a Christian pastor, is that correct? Yeah. A Christian what? So I want to read two quick quick quotes from him uh, that he said that about communism he wrote, communism robs a man of a quality that makes him a man. That is, being a child of God. And he also was uh, uh, talked about the fact that that communism, the reason they disagree with it is because communism and Christianity, Christianity are fundamentally, fundamentally incompatible. And I wanted to get your thoughts on what those quotes that he was saying where he disagreed. I understand he was sympathetic to the, the social uh, aspect of communism, but overall he believed it robbed a man of being able to uh, believe in God. Hey, very nice. Well, and No, thank you. No, you know, thank you very much for that. Um, I think it's called contradictory thoughts. Uh, Dr. King was not a communist. Notice I never said he was. I said he was pro-communist. He had his disagreements with it theologically and politically, but the point was the U.S. doesn't give you that nuance. The U.S. doesn't say, well, you can be disagreeing with communism, but we can still have peaceful coexistence with it, right? We can disagree with communism, 
but we can trade with Cuba and not have a blockade. We cannot lock up W. Du Bois. We cannot lock up Paul Robeson. No, the, the United States will kill a communist and let a, a white fascist walk free. So like everyone, Dr. King was faced with a choice. He had those thoughts about communism, but there was a real war in Vietnam, and they didn't ask him what he thought about that. That was the choice in front of him. When that was his choice, he sided with the communists. When he went to uh, speak for W.E.B. Du Bois to honor him, I believe those quotes are true, what you said. Good point. But he said the man was a genius and one of the greatest thinkers of all time. One can be pro-communist and still pro-communist and still have your disagreements with it, but you're not going to kill somebody for being one. This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Front Lines. And this is KPFK, and we're going to go out with the wonderful Stevie Wonder. And go on info at thestrategycenter.org if you want to hear my thoughts Thursday night at 6. D'Angelo Jones, thank you so much. Anyo, thank you for the amazing work you do. Take it out, Stevie Wonder. It's like-